0: Wilson
1: and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Natasha Halesworth is the founder of The Consistency Project, a new women-led sustainable fashion and lifestyle studio focusing on secondhand and reworked vintage clothing. Through the Consistency Project, Natasha is reimagining the relationship between fashion and sustainability. She is also changing the retail experience, imagining shopping appointments with elevated service for her clients. This podcast episode will highlight her unique entrepreneurial journey towards the world of sustainable fashion. I'm super excited to talk to you, Natasha. I think what you have built is so Spot on in terms of what's happening and timing and rethinking about repurposing and clothing and individuality. And so, you know, I also love that it started as a passion project. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, so a lot of companies do, and those are usually the most successful ones. So, sort of like walk us through your background. I mean, you grew up in Hawaii. And were you always a seamstress with, like, a sewing machine in your uh, bedroom? Absolutely not. You
0: would think so. <laughs> Although I like to uh, thank my mom for being super crafty. I mean, back growing up, she would make a lot of her Halloween costume. And, like, you should be making things, but uh, they both own their own businesses. So I grew up kind of within a retail environment, within entrepreneurial kind of spirit. Being Yeah, spirit and, and just kind of going after things and, and making things happen on your own. But the fashion thing kind of just came upon, it was a personal interest of mine. I never really was able to pursue it as my parents thought it wasn't really a viable career path at the time. <laughs> so
1: what kind of um, businesses do your parents I have?
0: mean, they had like a one-hour Photoshop and a candy shop. It was like pure retail. I grew up like in a traditional mall Instead of, you know, people think, oh, growing up in Hawaii, I was on the beach all day. I was pretty much in a mall all day growing (laughs) up in my uh, parents' shop. They, I think, saw me as owning my own business. But I think because fashion was so foreign to my family, of course, they also knew how hard it was running your own business to begin with, let alone running fashion. It wasn't something that I was really able to explore until later down the road. After I had my nine to five job, I was able to really invest in myself, and it was only then, in like twenty fourteen, I had started doing a pattern making program. So, and where were you doing that program? It was in Oakland. I was in California. So you went from Hawaii,
1: and then you went to California. Yeah. Did you go to college in between, or you just did? Yes. yes. Okay. So where'd you go to? Where'd you go to
0: school? Uh, University of Laverne. Got it. Yeah. In California. So I was there, and after graduating, I moved up to the Bay Area, started working in tech, and then from there. That's what you do yeah, there. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so yes, I was working a tech, and uh, but again, you know, it provided this platform for me financially to then think about, okay, how do I invest in myself and the interests that I had? So yeah, I took a program on the side while working and that's when I just started, things just kind of snowballed, you know, I kind of right. just did a little bit more, pushed myself a little bit more, learned a little bit more about the industry all while working my other job, which had no relation to fashion at yeah, all. Yeah, what tech industry, who did you work for? <laughs> for Airbnb. Oh, ah, yeah. okay, great, yeah, I amazing. <laughs> you I hope you got some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah self, self-funded business. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, yeah, from there kind of was able to obviously transfer a lot of skills. I was doing event uh, planning and production a bit, yeah, and uh, Got it, got it. And then
1: how did it take off? I mean, the one thing that's interesting is that I know that you can make an appointment and you can have items made that are made specifically for you. And what's interesting is, and I'm sure you know this, but in the, I want to say around 2009, 2010, there were a bunch of businesses that were launched in the tech space that were about I mean, even Levi's tried to do it, right? Which is making an item for your body specifically because all the specs, as we all know, are the same specs from years ago. And if it's a new designer and you bring in a new model who's your spec person, then all the specs change. So it's not based on any particular like consistent model that you know that if I'm a size six, I'm a size six in every single thing that you ever buy. And
0: that's the power of what we try to educate our customers on is, the um, tool of measurements, right? That is something that truly is standard. And I think that's the key to our fitting appointments. And that's what we really measure everything on when it comes to customization. It's really around someone's measurements. And it's not like we're necessarily taking something, we're producing a garment from scratch, right? That is Mm -hmm. difficult, but, you know, we rework the garment. So there are some areas that are already kind of done for us. So instead of spending all that time producing a garment from scratch, we get to take that time to customize. I think if you're customizing a garment from scratch, like adding the zipper, the button, you know, like all that stuff, all that time, we just transfer it into like doing something completely different with the garment.
1: Which is really interesting. I mean, my original background where I started out was it as a buyer and then I worked in the garment center so I've lived in many places with you know the yellow thing you have behind you and understand how to make a garment and it's a very different world I mean so you started this you took this class to talk about sort of the journey then and how'd you come up with the name the consistency
0: project well yeah, so basically, it was a project. So, you know, uh, J4 has it, yes. it, it came. Um, but for me, I, it was learning about the industry. And I didn't want to necessarily just create something, even a passion project, without the intention of how it impacted the rest of my life or my lifestyle. And so fashion essentially was something I... You know was passionate about but also there was a the dark side of you know the wastefulness and how things were produced or wages etc it was like a whole deep kind of space that i was just getting into and i realized you know if i can like devote a lot of time in how i shop secondhand or reuse or reclaim within fashion i should be able to take that and transfer it to other parts of my life whether food or just day-to-day life of laundry etc so really the thought was that if you can do something in one part of your life, you can try to provide consistency across your entire life. And I think that's where we can truly make an impact. And I think that's key to the foundation still of the business that we are able to inspire people to give them tools to take it beyond just the product that we sell. For example, if we provide the tool of measurements, you're taking that and using as a tool in other parts of your life beyond just Right.
1: Well, that you're wearing a garment that you understand came from something before with the thought process of like, as you said, you took a deep dive into the fashion world, which is probably the largest businesses that is insanely difficult for our planet, you know, from the fabrics to the, you know, right from the very beginning all the way till it gets to the floor. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of water to make a t-shirt. And, you know, they're not using gray water, they're using fresh water to make more fabrications. And it just continues down the line, even in regards to the people that are making these products before it gets to the floor where you buy it. And no one has any idea, you know, this whole concept of even of like making it in America. It's like, well, yeah, you don't want to have it made in America if you want a $20 t shirt. Because guess what? we pay people $20 an hour. Yeah. I mean, I, it, yeah. it is crazy
0: to think that people don't understand that the, the mathematics around like, Oh, if you're buying Carmen. Now, how much time do you think this actually takes? Therefore how much, you know, materials and how much is the person getting paid making that? I mean, and I think that's why shopping secondhand or when it comes to reuse is so important for people to feel comfortable doing. I think it's one of those things where the impact is truly there when everyone can do at least a little bit of it versus, you know, someone feeling the burden of doing everything, you know, only specifically shopping secondhand. It is. Which, you know, personally I've tried, but it's sometimes very, very difficult. I mean, when you're like a mom of two, you know, it's like sometimes you just have to make, you know, sacrifices in that area. And I think that's the thought of our project is trying to make people have a different relationship with shopping secondhand because I think there's also a lot of difficulties and different avenues of how you can shop secondhand with a thrift store or a curated vintage shop or online platforms like ThredUp, you know and so I think there's just all of these different ways and so when we engage with someone we are able to then say, hey, you know, here's another side to shopping secondhand and here are the tools to hopefully help you shop secondhand anywhere else.
1: Right. Or parts of your life, right? If you're making a purchase and you understand the thought process behind it, then hopefully you'll make that thought process. another Yeah. And
0: honestly, sometimes it's hard not to because you then start to think and and you start to consider, oh, maybe I can just you know, get this other thing actually on the same platform, you know, Facebook marketplace or things like that, you know, people start to then go out a little bit of their comfort zone. And we also like to think that we push people outside of their comfort zone stylistically as well, you know, and so it's just those little things that we try to think about and do within the business that we hope then carries forward, you know, beyond us. I think we're in a
1: very interesting place, even as the world is sort of shifting and you think about all the luxury brands and how they've all depended on China and how many garments they make a year. I mean, even if you look at, you know, people that have won the fashion award with CDMA and you win that and all of a sudden you go from like, I'm a top designer, I made 15 garments, it was such a success, and then you turn around, and within ten years, they're making three hundred SKUs. You know, because that's the industry. You know, grow next year, grow next year, more product, more product, more product. And you know, I've watched so many designers over the years because I love the fashion business, and I think, oh my God, they just killed that designer, right? Because. They were so creative. No one could be that creative around 300 yeah. SKUs. I
0: mean, it is so extraordinary because, of course, you want to grow as a business. And, you know, that's why you're doing what you're doing. But at the same time, I think there's a level of, you know, responsibility that we need to understand, you know, trying to push things too much unless, you know, you're exploring other ways to balance that, like by creating intensive yes. programs, essentially that really might cut into your margins, potentially, but overall are really providing all around service to the customer, but it's not beyond the product, right? So I think it's always thinking, I think businesses, you can exist as a business and contribute to this, like, you know, having people buy things, but at the same time, what are you doing to then turn it around, what to to ask them, what's in your closet? How are you recycling? Like, how are you buying? I think those are the type of things we're hoping to explore.
1: I get that. I mean, I think it's really hard. I mean, when people think about retail therapy, right? It's like, all you want to do some is just go out and yeah, buy something, right? I know. And, you know, and that that's a tough one. I have to say, I love your tagline, based in New York with roots yeah. in Hawaii. And I assume you came up with this tagline, so it just really defines who um, you are.
0: Yeah, I, I think any business... Really, sometimes the root of it, it really is founded from like really the founder, like the person who started it. A lot of the values, a lot of the experiences, the cultural you know impact, like everything kind of fuses into the business. So, yeah, I would definitely think the business is a huge part of me and vice versa.
1: And do you think your climate roots came from growing up in Hawaii which is probably a lot more sustainable to some of the climate issues we're having today
0: you would be surprised though at the sustainability efforts here in Hawaii it's actually not as I guess not I wouldn't say developed but I think not as progressive in like trying to innovate in certain areas when you think about things like solar right like we are a state that really gets sun 365 days a year so pretty much you know (laughs) it would be wise for a state like ours to invest in solar for everyone for businesses etc like building some kind of structure around that yet it's very very far from that so yeah I think being back home though it it's something actually positive. I think a lot of times people grow up in Hawaii. What they do is they leave, and then sometimes they never come back. And so coming back is really being able to bring whatever like knowledge or whatever you think you've kind of learned outside, and then trying to move you know your home forward. Totally. So, where are you sourcing all of these fabrics? So, it's not really a fabric thing, it's more of a garment thing. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right, you're, yeah, right. Yeah, you're yeah. right, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different of an approach, but it essentially can be wrote, approached similarly. We will essentially partner up with certain businesses like San Ray, the Painter Pant. We work directly with them on their dead stock that they've kind of been sitting on for you know, decades, many years. I'm shocked that they've kept it. Yeah, which, you know, I think sometimes, it's actually sometimes hard to dispose of your stuff. Of your, you know, as a business, I think what happens is like, okay, there's, you know, imperfection, you set it aside, and all of a sudden, 10 years pass by, and you turn around. You have a factory. And you look at all this stuff that you've just set aside, and it's gone from like 10 to like thousands. And it's because you're just going and going, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, what do I do with this stuff? And at one point, they sold everything to like a vintage warehouse. They sold like bales of it. Right. And that's where I originally found them, is working through a vintage warehouse that happened to buy you know hundreds and hundreds of their pants found it there initially and of course at some point the pants you know you can't purchase them through there anymore and sanry actually reached out directly to me and said hey we love what you're doing you know and we still have a lot of pants that we did like what like there was a point where i was like okay we can't, you know, when you work with reclaimed materials or dead socket, there's, you always plan for an end, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, and so you really kind of think like, okay, if we don't have these pants, what is it next, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, they came through and then now we work directly with them. And I think, you know, sometimes there might be a point, but also in the world, as you know, of production, there's always something coming up to like a quality control so some imperfections etc there's always that and so I think if we're able to position ourselves to work with those type of I guess garments that is a great way to kind of sustain long term but you know in the future we hope to work with other brands and when it comes to just other materials sometimes it's Directly through vintage warehouses that really focus on having a range of the same style of something, you know, still one of one, but like a bulk. Right. Well,
1: I'm sure they're either giving it to you or you're buying, buying. It from them, but certainly not a very expensive price point. So I'm going to assume that your margins are pretty good based on the fact that you're re, you know, using materials.
0: Would think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give specific numbers It's only you know about ten dollars less than new. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. So, yeah, it's like you would think, but at the same time, you know, you all you also want to make sure that you are expressing value in something that many people think right. don't have value. And I think you know when it comes to even just vintage in general, I mean, it's just become such a big you know part of the fashion industry now. That yeah, wholesale. Well, they're waking yeah, wholesale up. Is, we're not just going to a thrift store you know with like a dollar five dollar pieces yeah not at this point it's like it's not like that so but at the same time margins are always thinner more on the labor so you save sometimes more on maybe the garment but when you think about the labor that goes into or the process that goes into reworking the garment that is where the cost adds up and I think that's where sometimes we as you know a brand that can't look towards other businesses to compare ourselves. We're like, oh, is there anyone can, you know, it's like. No, you're forging a okay, new you know, path. Then you're like, okay, pricing. Like how do you, like traditional fashion models don't work for us. And even when it comes to how do we scale production outside of being in-house? How do you scale right? production? Like, we are talking to, uh, we, are, we have talked to multiple different production houses and really we've come at roadblocks where one sometimes they don't necessarily want to work with us because we only use you know reclaimed materials and it's too foreign right two they'll work with us but they want us to invest in the time that it takes for them to relearn a new process totally i get that but as a small business to invest that much you're like okay it has to be a timing thing we have to save up for that it's like a huge investment on something that I feel like I think it should be shared but of course you know for them they're like well we rather just work with another brand that's you know using they're sustainable they're using organic cotton but it's new and they can work in a way where they can you know cut things in mass produce things in mass and you know it's like why would they take time to work with someone like us when it is complicating more complicating Than what they're used to but i can say that it feels like more work initially but it actually can be scalable (laughs) is what we're exploring i'm sure it is
1: so i mean yeah i mean you could have your own place where you have putters and people that work for you and create a brand new you know sort of a brand new model for what you're doing but so you make an appointment where do you make this appointment or is someone walk you through a Zoom call to go through your measurements that are needed from, you know, the inseam to your well, waist. Well, it
0: depends on what, you know, if you're going to purchase something online, if you're purchasing online, we then do a consultation that is like a Zoom call. And we are able to walk you through that and give you a little bit more context to what you can do customizing your pants. But when it comes to coming in person to your New York studio, you go online, you book an appointment, you fill out a form that kind of gives us some information about If you even know your size, if there's any past fit issues you've had, and maybe trying to describe a bit, like, do you identify as curvy versus straight, you know, or in between, you Mm -hmm. know, so giving us a little bit of background. And then from there, you show up and we're like, hey, you know, and we (laughs) uh, walk you through like what we think is a very kind of unique experience. Most times people come in and they're just shocked at like, one, the attention, two, I think it's just again the educational piece and then three, what we can offer, which is again, it's a little non traditional when it comes to retail.
1: Oh yeah, I mean totally. So, you know, what are you working on in terms of new collections for the year ahead? Yeah. And because that's the one thing about the fashion business. It's not like you hit this point where it's
0: just I know you know, you're reinventing every single day. Yeah, and it's sometimes it's really hard for us to be like, Okay, we need to focus and we can't necessarily get distracted to want to create you know new collections every month which we absolutely can't but I think you know we really kind of explored this idea of American workwear and traditional workwear within the scope of like utility and like manual labor right so like stand right painter Mm -hmm. pants it's like a very specific cut and style that identifies with traditional workwear. But we would love to explore with this new collection next year a different side of workwear when you think about when you go to an office or what do other people do and or what do they wear to work and how do we kind of take those traditional silhouettes and make something still fun but functional and comfortable that can transition from life to work back to life because I think that's the beauty of New York you're going to work and then you're hopping over to meet your friends for dinner in the bar you know like totally. that can just transition and then you're on the subway and you're not worried that you know it will get ripped or dirty or something happens and so taking other you know traditional work where outside of what we think is what
1: we're really excited to do. I really love that. And so, how many people are working for you at this point?
0: One full time, one part time, and me.
1: Three. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so amazing. Well, I love what you're doing. I mean, the whole thing is super cool, and you know that you thinking about the world at large, <laughs> and you took a passion project and you brought it to life. I mean, in fashion is hard. It is.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, what am I doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about getting into other things beside that, like creating poofs or oh, pillows? Yeah. or I mean, home accessories.
0: Yeah. Um, primarily because when we work with pants, the cutoffs tend to be much larger. So for us to be able to save those scraps and reclaim them we're able to sew those pieces together and then create smaller, you know, accessories of so bags and, and pillows and stuff. So we are exploring that. It's definitely a little easier, but we still have our complex, you know, production process of right. using the replaying material.
1: Right, because everyone's body is different. So you're essentially, you know, piecing together all these vintage materials and you're making one big huge piece of fabric and then cutting it for (laughs) those items exactly
0: that's exactly what it is and we also you know again like when you make an appointment you don't necessarily have to customize a pant with our patchwork we have our like painter pants we have like vintage denim already as is but what we also do is do very basic alterations that actually transform a garment's fit to be perfect for you And so I think that's also a lot of people are so used to now shopping for something, buying a size that they think they are, and then they get it. It doesn't really fit well, but they wear it anyway because it kind of fits. And then you realize... And they love it. And then then you realize, okay, well, maybe they could have done something like taking it to a tailor, got in the right inseam at the very least, and you're like, wow, it's transformed into a completely new piece or pant. And so we do uh, those basic alterations also in our studio, and I think That also is a very important educational moment for a lot of our customers because then they realize, wow, I can go out, buy things secondhand, I can take it to my local tailor, make a few alterations, and it's something that I will wear every day, which is what we want.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I totally think it's fantastic. I love what you're doing. I love your designs. I think the whole thing is great. And it'll be very interesting to see how this type of thought process in this industry takes hold as... I mean, certainly right now, the planet is one of the most important buzzwords that are happening that I hope does not go away. Although these people that are throwing shit at, you know, Monet's or these big paintings around the world, I'm not so sure that's the way to continue to keep up the uh, conversation,
0: (laughs) but at least it's being highlighted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. I think it's just the beginning. And I think, you know, we're not the only brand, I think, exploring things. And I think, you know, we just hope to be one of, of many, like to like collectively make the impact that we hope to see. Yeah, it's great. Well thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: All right, well, thank you so much. And um I'm definitely gonna get one of the phenomenal items and uh maybe Alice and I will take you a trip need to down come and to uh, our studio. And, and, we'll we'll do and, a full exactly experience.
0: please come down. We'd love to host. Both I th- yeah, of you. We, we will do it. I <laughs> would love that. Okay. Yeah. Take
1: care. Yeah. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. To learn more about what Natasha is doing, you can visit TheConsistencyProject.com. Our next guest on Positively Gotham Gal will be Rima Medvoisin, the scientist turned entrepreneur who co-founded Near Space Labs, a startup that provides timely, wide scale, commercially available imagery with the largest zero emission balloon fleet in the stratosphere.